0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the Short Tempered Podcast here with your co-hosts Max and Abby. How are you doing, Abby? I'm doing
1: good. I'm doing good. Um I can't wait to, you know, start talking about some of the games we saw this past weekend and uh I'm excited about us doing this podcast more regularly.
0: Yeah, I know it's it was a bit hard um on break, but I think now that we're we're back in school starting our semesters, it'll be it'll be a more regular uh, upload schedule, but definitely a ton to talk about, a ton of stuff happening in the world of sports, music, and politics. But we're going to start with uh, the NFL. Obviously, this past weekend, there was two very exciting conference championship games. Um, First was the uh, Philadelphia Eagles beating up on the San Francisco 49ers, uh, winning 31 to seven, and then the uh, Cincinnati Bengals losing 20 to 23 to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, let's start with the Eagles game, Abby. What did you think about the Eagles' performance, and how do you think their performance will determine the, the Super Bowl outcome?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the worst out of the two games, obviously. It is really unfortunate that Purdy went down pretty early. And then their what fourth string quarterback also got hurt in the middle of the game. So the fine, 49ers were just dealt a really bad hand in this game. A series of miss mis- and unfortunate events. Um, but I think the Eagles really showed out. And they didn't, I don't think that's an excuse even for the 49ers. Because the Eagles are just crushing on their defense regardless uh, of what their offense was doing. I would have liked to seen the 49ers do a little bit more creatively to get back into the game. Um, I didn't see any point of them putting in Purdy when it was pretty obvious that he wasn't going to pass the ball in the first place. They could have ran Wildcat with with McCaffrey, or he even th- knows how to throw the ball a little bit. So that could have made it a more interesting game and kept them into the game for longer. But I think this all this talk about the 49ers defense being like really really good like yes they are a good defense but this Eagles team really, really showed um that they're on another level.
0: Yeah, d- definitely unfortunate for the injuries and um reports coming out seem like Brock Purdy's going to have about a a 6 month recovery. So we hope all is well for him but actually I disagree a little bit. Um I think in, uh the quarterback is obviously the most important position not just schematically, but also morale-wise. And when a team loses their quarterback, who's already their third string, and then loses their fourth string, it's it's sad to say, but players often lose hope, as I think people watching did. It, it kind of felt like Philadelphia was going to win, you know, no matter how it happened. So I think it's kind of hard to blame the 49ers defense or say they didn't do well, because you know after the first quarter you know second quarter when you kind of know it's over the the step isn't there the desire isn't there um so i think it's not quite fair to pin all that on them the the thing i can say though is just look at the opening drive that the eagles did they marched confidently down the field really look like they dominate the 49ers defense. So in that aspect, just looking at that drive before Purdy gets injured, before this this kind of loss in morale, I agree. I think the Eagles offense looked very competent. And that is something that you can analyze and say, okay, moving forward, if this team shows up in the Super Bowl, it's going to be a a very interesting game.
1: Yeah, for sure. I do agree with you, actually. Now that I think back at the game, I think towards the end it definitely got away from the 49ers but early losing Purdy they kept it decently close um you know right just right before the half it was it was a one score game and then you know the Eagles um went up you know two scores before the end of the half but yeah I think if we see that side of the Eagles, then I think the Chiefs can really confidently take care of them. But if we see see the side that we saw in the opening drive, like you mentioned, or see the see the side where, you know, they're marching down the field like we did in the second half and, and playing really, really well against a you know, elite defense that you know might have been shaken up more morale-wise, then I think it could be a really, really interesting game. And I think they have a, a really good chance of, of winning the Super Bowl. But uh yeah it's it's unfortunate to see the the game like go like that and as a fan you don't really want like them to win in that way but um all the Eagles fans I'm sure are are really happy and uh they don't really care uh, about all the excuses that the 49ers might be making right now.
0: Yeah they certainly don't and also I think it's important to note that just because the other team has lost, you know, their key player it shows a sign of strength from the other team to not let themselves get complacent and just kind of assume they have a win. And you're right, going into halftime, it was close. And so I think it shows real strength to say, hey, let's not take this game for granted and let's still go out and let's still dominate, which I thought was very big on their part. But the other game, the AFC championship game was much different, much more exciting from start to finish, kind of break that Break that game down, how you saw it, and what do you think it says about the Chiefs?
1: Yeah, I think this game was really at the line of scrimmage. And I think you might have said that on the last podcast. I don't know if, if it was about this game or the last game, but the game was at the line of scrimmage. What it really came down to was the defensive line of the Chiefs were unbelievable. Um, Joe Burrow had very little time in the pocket. He's getting sacked a ton, seemed like. And the the Bengals offensive line wasn't playing as good as they were against the Bills. And I thought that really showed uh, Chris Jones was just beating up on this O-line, right? Um, on the other side of it, the Bengals really couldn't get to Mahomes. It seemed like as effectively as they should have been able to, especially with an injury that he had, he had not being as mobile as he usually is. Um, and then we saw the last rush of the game, which, which we'll get into. And I'm sure we'll, we'll disagree about a little bit, but um yeah, they weren't really rushing more than four four people at a time. They, I think, they should have put a little bit more pressure on Mahomes, considering he was a little bit less mobile, and maybe that they they could have had a better game that way. Um, but at the same time, the Chiefs' O line probably just played really, really well. Um, you know, as they have been throughout the whole season at protecting Mahomes. So, I think, yeah, it ultimately was won there. But of course, you know, Mahomes showed out, and that's what needed to happen.
0: I I think you're a thousand percent right. I mean, the, the Bengals didn't seem to have the same vigor attacking Mahomes at the line of scrimmage that they normally would have. And I think they assumed, look, Mahomes isn't mobile. Let's rush four, contain him in the pocket, and let him throw. That's that You can't do that. Mahomes will beat you. And he made some tremendous plays. You could tell he was hobbled, still put his body on the line. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is... One of the best players of all time. I think right now he ranks second all time in postseason receiving yards. I think he just passed Julian Edelman. He's about like six hundred or so yards behind um, Jerry Rice, which is which is pretty incre- incredible. Wow, wow. Um, has the potential, I, I believe, to you know cement himself as a best tight end of all time if you know him and Mahomes can continue this streak. But I think what you pointed about out about the Bengals is really interesting because their o-line was horrible and Chris Jones looked unbelievable. I think he had two or three sacks and I read a stat that he was pressured, Burrow was pressured on uh, 44% of his dropbacks, which is wow. unreal. And even though he was throwing the ball quickly, you could tell he was rushed. Some of those interceptions, pressure was in his face. He just kind of threw the ball up But something really interesting that I read on Twitter was talking about the difference between the Bills game and the Chiefs game because the O-line didn't change, but the O-line played tremendous against the Bills. And the argument the person made was the snow actually helped the Bengals because it's a lot harder to pass rush in the snow. Your feet aren't as quick. You can't do as many moves. It's a lot easier for the O-line. And so in that way – The snow actually helped the Bengals O-line, make them look more competent. But then when they played the Chiefs and they played talent like uh, Chris Jones, they got absolutely destroyed. So five sacks, Joe Burrow had no time the whole night. I still think it was impressive that they were able to keep it this close. And, you know, it just slipped away, you know, right at the end.
1: Yeah, no, that's so true. I think it is really interesting that it came down to a last minute field goal to decide the game. Uh, because if you really look at it on on what you just talked about, you'd expect the Chiefs to run away with this game. But I think we might need to do a sports science episode on that um, on that snow factor because that 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 is pretty interesting. I wouldn't really think about that. I would think it would be like you know equally hard for the offensive line, like having three hundred pound bodies coming at them um, at a distance. Like it must be hard to keep your footing, I guess, in the snow. But uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? It, it yeah. does seem like, yeah.
0: It, I mean, it's the, the O-line is dropping back, getting in a defensive st- stance, and the the D-line is the one that has to initiate, you know, explode off the line, do a spin move, you know, do a power move. All those moves require, you know, intense footwork. Not that the O-line doesn't require it, but in that snowy condition, I believe it is much harder for the d lineman to operate and to use, you know an array of um, moves to get past O alignment. So I think that's part of the reason why the chiefs O-line looked better against the bills. And then obviously looked horrible against the chiefs.
1: I, what do you think about the last play of the game? I'm yeah. very, I'm very, you know, angered by it. I hate referees, as you know, I think in the NBA and the NFL, they're, they play too big of a role and they don't need to. Um, but yeah, walk me through through that play. What went through your mind when you saw that?
0: Well, and first of all, as a Saints fan, no one despises refs more than me. And the refs the whole night seemed that they were making poor calls. There was that one, uh, third down that the Chiefs basically got a redo on. Um, so there's a ton of stuff the whole night that was upsetting. But I actually took really really the opposite stance on this final play because my philosophy is you ref the whole game the same it doesn't matter if it's the first quarter the second quarter or the last play of the game the referee has to act the same because you don't the rule book doesn't change depending on the time of the game so how the referee calls the game shouldn't change and so when you look at the play patrick mahomes is clearly out of bounds when the defender runs into him Yes, did Patrick Mahomes sell it? Sure. That's what you're supposed to do. Players are taught to sell the fouls. And that's part of the game is if you're out of bounds and someone hits you, exaggerate it. Really You know, play it up. So was it a foul? Yes. I don't believe the call should have changed just because it's the last play of the game. Like if it's a foul in the first quarter, it should be a foul in the fourth quarter. That's my thoughts.
1: I don't think that the foul should necessarily change. I don't think it was a foul in the first place. I think if you watch that tape in fast motion, he's not shoving whatsoever. Arm did not extend. He was clearly trying to slow himself down as Mahomes is going out of bounds. Um, and I I think the 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 time in which it is called does matter. At the end of the day, you're a ref of a game of entertainment and you have to take in what's going on into your perspective of a close call right i don't think it was a very very obvious call and when it's not a very very obvious call then yeah. it should be you're not going to be the ones that are like determining the game at that point i don't want the refs to like tell me like what's going to happen that was a non football foul it happened after the play it didn't affect the game of the play if it was a pass interference Fine. I totally understand. That would have interrupted the whole flow of the game. Potentially that could have helped the Chiefs in some way if that person was was wide open. But this was after the play. Mahomes was already out of bounds. He didn't extend it, he didn't extend a hand whatsoever. I think in fast motion, it doesn't look bad whatsoever. When you slow it down, like obviously anything is gonna seem a lot more exaggerated than it actually is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just I disagree. I don't think. I don't think the purpose of the refs is to maximize entertainment, right? I think the purpose of the refs is to create a fair game. And so I don't think that they should be swallowing their whistle because it'd be more entertaining for fans at the end of the game to not see a foul. I think again, if a foul's a foul, the rule book doesn't say, Hey, in the fourth quarter, we're going to call fouls differently. Obviously it happens, but it shouldn't, right? It should be, the same calls throughout the entire game. And so I also disagree with this idea that like, it was somehow like a close call, like watching it real time. I said, Oh, that's, you know, personal foul contact after the injury. Like, I don't, I don't think that that was at all a close call. Yes. He didn't look like he shoved him a ton, but you just, you can't make contact with the quarterback after the play is done. Mahomes had basically established two feet out of bounds and then he gets run over. Uh, to me, that's a foul no matter what. To me, it's more of a question of like how undisciplined the Bengals seemed throughout the game, and especially this was just epitomizing how unprepared they seemed.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a lot closer than... I think if you go to Twitter, if you see what everyone is saying, I think everyone is saying is a lot closer than what you're portraying it as. Um, there is some... I think definitely more people are leaning towards like, yes, it was a foul, but there is like a good amount of gray area, I think. And there's a good amount of disagreement about what actually happened. And if that was a foul in even a different circumstance. So my point is considering the circumstances and considering the let the level of, you don't really know what's happening. I wouldn't pull the flag out of my pocket. I totally understand. I guess the refs did it. Like it's what they saw is what they saw. Um, but it's it just, I just hated for a game to end that end that way specifically. And the fact that it was Patrick Mahomes on top of that really adds fuel to the fire. Cause it reminds me of things like Tom Brady's tuck rule. And like, obviously it's not to that extent, but it's just these superstars getting calls on their side just because they're superstars and because they help the league and whatever, yada, yada, yada. So it's just disappointing for me. And I, I think, uh, Patrick Mahomes is turning into like a villain character for me a little bit.
0: Certainly. And I mean, that's what winning does, right? Winning turns you into the villain. Um, I just, my perception is like, that's always going to be called a foul. You have to protect the quarterback. It sucks to see a game end, obviously with the foul, allowing for the kick. But the rule is the rule. Like, and that's just like how it's going to end. Like if you're, if you're going to create, that much contact after the play like the rest have to throw a flag to me it's not to the level of some of the stuff we see with like Brady where it just it almost seems like they're you know really trying to will him to victory it, it seemed a little different to me so
1: hashtag NFL rigged is trending on Twitter uh, right now or it was at least this morning and you know, that call might have been a little bit controversial. Some of the other ones were outright just terrible calls and, and rough interferences. I don't think Eli Apple really committed a personal, I mean, a pass interference whatsoever. A thousand percent. Uh, that we
0: hate Eli Apple. Um, As again, as a Saints fan, we hate Eli Apple. He a thousand percent. That was a whole PI, whatever it was, Eli Apple is responsible. And I hope he has a good uh, holiday in Cancun right now. I hope he's, <laughs> hope he's enjoying the the nice uh, travels of the offseason. That,
1: that was not a PI whatsoever. He, that was a normal football play. It didn't even affect the play whatsoever at all. Um, and then, like you said, the whole game clock thing where they just got a do over on the play was just so weird. Um, in that situation, it just seemed like everything was going the Chiefs away. They had how many... And I think that way the Bengals defense actually still stopped them which was which was pretty cool um but they had like three third downs or something like that um so yeah it's it's an unfortunate way to end the game
0: the only evidence i have that the nfl is not rigged is that eli apple did not make a single positive play that's how i know That it's not rigged and, you know, everything was going as it was supposed to. Because if Eli Apple made an actual play or, you know, did something positive, I'd be like, hold on now. And the NFL might be rigged, but he did absolutely nothing. So, you know, just just a normal game. But I think it's going to be a fascinating Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the Eagles. I believe the betting line opened at Eagles minus two and a half. What do you kind of think about this matchup and who do you predict? I think
1: I've seen the Eagles fumble the bag a little bit before. Um, I think if they can be disciplined and you know the receivers aren't dropping balls or anything, and they've they've improved greatly since the regular season season, um, I think that they can show out for sure, but. This Chiefs team, although they didn't play the best this last game, I think it should have probably been more of a, a blowout considering the help they got from the referees and the way that the Bengals' O-line was playing. I think they should have won in a more commanding way. But I'm going to probably go with the Chiefs in this instance just because of of Patrick Mahomes. I think um, the Eagles were overall better team. Uh, on all cylinders almost, and I just think that the experience of Patrick Mahomes might greatly benefit him in this instance. And the NFL wants him to win, so he's gonna win.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I have a bit of a different belief. I just I think the Eagles are more talented. I agree, kind of with this idea that look the Chiefs really should have beaten up on the. Uh, Bengals and part of that might have been injury and the chiefs will ha- now have a, a long break to get healthy but to me eagles are the better team basically at every position except quarterback and the way um jalen hurts has been playing i don't think he's any sort of liability i mean the chiefs have a better o-line running game um i mean just everything and, and i think the chiefs are so one dimensional in their passing game. This is what I said about the bills. Eventually it'll catch up. Eventually a team will be good enough to you know stifle your pass game just enough so that their offense can win. And to me that's what happens. I think I think the eagles win by you know a touchdown or 10 points around there.
1: So what's your final score prediction of the game?
0: 27-20 probably. I'd say, mm. I think, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, actually not a close-ish game, and then the Chiefs kind of come back towards the end. But I just think the Eagles are that good this year. What about what do you think? Final prediction?
1: I I'll get the Chiefs thirty one, twenty seven. Let's call wow. it. Um, wow. I think I think it's gonna be decently high scoring. I think it has a chance to be actually very really low scoring. Yeah. Um, depending on depending on how the defenses play, but I, I think the offensive lines of both of these teams are really, really good to the point that uh, I think their offenses are going to be, you know, moving on all cylinders. Um, but yeah, the Chiefs have a couple injuries at wide receiver that could really, you know, hurt them. Do you know if they're, if they're coming back for the Super Bowl or, or what the, you know, update on that is?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know a lot of the injury updates. Um, I know also. I think Lane Johnson for the Eagles is working through some issues. So, I think that's something definitely by next week. And obviously, the Super Bowl will be be more uh, familiar with. But I'm not sure as of right now.
1: Got it. And LeBron is about to surpass the greatest stat line of all time, and when he does, I'm excited to have. An episode dedicated on that, or at least a section of the episode dedicated on that. Um, so, until next time, probably next week or the week after, probably next week, we'll have an episode on that. So, looking forward to that.
0: So, but, when is he going to uh, break the six and 0 stat line? When's he <laughs> said the most impressive stat line? I thought that was, you know, six and 0. I don't know. I didn't think like playing in a league for 30 years and, you know, never winning a scoring title made you a great scorer but you know teach yeah, his own teach his own
1: i think beating the best statistical team of all time um has a, has a lot to do with that uh you know Wouldn't beating he beat a, chicago the chicago bulls he beat the 7th, 73 beat, and 9 warriors F- which mm. had more wins on the on the regular season
0: um so yeah, yeah. and all their players played like the whole series right there's no like like, no one I got mean, ejected for, like, really, like, something stupid that they never should have gotten ejected for.
1: Did did MJ win any championships without Scottie Pippen?
0: I mean, I mean, if we're, you know what, let's save it. Let's save it for the, the episode next week when Braun breaks the title or whatever, you know. We can shake our pom-poms for him. But we do have to shift away from sports to something a little more serious um, in the world of politics. And, you know, it. It's kind of crazy that we're talking about this topic again um, because it seems like it's something that keeps happening. But um, on January 7th this year, Trey Nichols, who is a 29-year-old black man, died after uh, being pulled over uh, by the police in Memphis. Some background, uh, Trey Nichols was stopped by the police officers on suspicion of reckless driving And then subsequently, he was pulled from his car during the stop. He tried to flee, but was later um, caught up to. And several police officers beat him uh, to the point where he died um, to his injuries uh, three days later. Um, The current state of prosecution is five officers have officially been charged with second degree murder. Uh, Just today, a sixth officer was fired. And also, um, I believe three um, medical personnel that responded to the scene were also fired because of improper protocol that was followed um helping out uh, uh, Trey Nichols. So a, a very sad event, um, a tragedy that seems like it's occurring almost daily at this point. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, I'llBN. Um, just kind of the event as a whole.
1: Yeah, I mean, thoughts and prayers are to the family, obviously, but uh, this is it's like, again, it's crazy um, that this is happening. Um, and I think apparently they're moving a lot quicker with the prosecution this time and um, they're moving more efficiently, which is which is, I guess, kind of better, probably because it's it's black cops. they They, they care more or something like that um but yeah this is this is ridiculous and i think it it calls back to you know what we saw with with george floyd and and the fact that there needs to be some kind of reform on the police departments in general across the country um it shows that you know a lot of people are saying well look these were five black cops that that beat up this this black guy but if you really think about it, a lot of people are um A lot of people are calling to it as like this is an instance of self-hate where, you know, you're in this system um, that, you know, puts a target on the black population. And being a part of that system, you know, you could, you know, you're exhibiting those kind of traits and you have these internal biases towards this, uh, you know, marginalized community. So I think it really shows that this is a structural issue in the... Um, in the entire police departments across the entire United States. Um, And I think it really calls to attention that, you know, this defunding the police campaign might need to come back to fruition. Um, But, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think really needs to happen? Um, And do you think that there are, um, that something will happen in the first place, you know, Things happened after George Floyd, but do you think there's going to be more structural reforms this time that oversweep the nation?
0: No, like, I'd love to be like, this is the thing that'll change. And now we're going to reform the police and reform their policies. But if thousands of other times didn't, I don't see anything, unfortunately, that will cause this case to be the linchpin. And I hope it is. I hope change happens now, but it seems so regular and it seems just like in a couple of weeks, this will be an afterthought and we'll wait until we hear the next uh, tragedy occur, which is really sad. Um, but I, something you noted that was interesting was the fact that the five officers who have been charged were also black. Um, and I think you made a strong point that when you're kind of in this system, <clears throat> that targets black people you almost affiliate more with that group than maybe your own identity and i think that might be a factor um but it is very interesting also that the sixth officer that was just fired today was white and it is interesting as to why it took so much longer for there to be review of this white officer and action taken we'll see whether there's any criminal action but It seems very interesting as to why it took so much longer for this white officer to be punished at all compared to these um, five um, black police officers. But, you know, in the hope that there can be some progress and some reform brought about, what would you like to see kind of come about from this in terms of like cultural change or policy change specifically?
1: Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're at the point where there needs to be sweeping policy changes to how the police department is structured and with that i think that will bring more cultural changes so i think that's where you need to start um and i think this whole matter of defunding the police really got out of hand um during you know the whole george floyd thing in the way that people were thinking that it was like a movement that meant like and some people did mean like literally defund all of the police uh and you know just Get rid of police in general. But people also, by saying defund the police, meant, you know, defund it partially and reallocate that towards economic development, towards Black communities, so that you can help these communities grow, first of all. But as you put more resources towards economic development, it's known that crime in itself also decreases. A couple of cities at the top of my mind, you know, the LAPD, the NYPD, insanely inflated budgets it's crazy how many times i walk outside in new york and i just see cops doing absolutely nothing or like they're like doing something with like the traffic or like they're directing traffic or something like that like why does the nypd have to do that why is it not a separate like bureau that is in charge of like all the traffic stops or in charge of like moving traffic cones, and stuff like that. It makes no sense that like these people that are, are in charge of like a like rapes, murders, etc. And they're also in charge of like such menial um, um, tasks and things like that. And, and, and it really shows a point that um, you know, n- only 5% of the things that the police actually do are, are actually like dangerous things, right? Like rapes, murders, etc. 95% of the, the stuff that they deal with in the cases that they deal with are like petty crimes that mainly target the black community. So of course, you're going to get uh, you know, a lot of discrimination in, in that kind of in that kind of way, because that's like how the laws are, are created. And that's what structural racism really is. Um, but to, to what I was mentioning earlier was, you know, these these police budgets are way too big um, in Los Angeles. The police uh, budget is three point one four billion dollars and the city's total budget is ten billion dollars. So th- a third of it is going towards the LAPD, which is crazy um, in L.A., Spending on, you know, community things such as economic development and housing is combined only just north of a hundred million dollars. So. Less than way less than 10 percent, like less than 5 of, percent of what um, the, the LAPD's budget is. So um, I think, you know, you need to shave off some of that, those those billions and reallocate the things that will actually help people.
0: Yeah, I let me know what you think, because I I have a bit of a different view on it. I certainly think part of the solution is defund the police in the sense of we have to be targeting issues at the root. That means better job opportunities, better education, better housing programs and community development. And a lot of fighting crime is targeting at its root, which is poverty, economic insecurity, family issues, those sort of things. So certainly part of the answer is in that direction. But sort of my philosophy on the police itself is when we think of people who are in charge of the police, we kind of at least used to have this like glorified image of like, this hero that protects us and is like ultra intelligent, ultra brave, ultra strong. That's not reality. Like the majority of people that are highly intelligent, highly physically adept or anything are not police officers. They're something else. So the people that we in turn have policing our streets are people who maybe even being police officer wasn't their first Goal or desire. So now they're stuck in this job they don't really like, but now they kind of have to do. And you mix that, you know, idea of, well, you don't actually have the best people. Plus, you have this power hungry, you know, job that makes them feel superior. And maybe they're not, you know, the caliber of person that can deal with that power. So then you have issues like this. And my philosophy is, Maybe we should reallocate some of the money to hiring better police officers. and we shouldn't instead of demonizing them and turning away, we should say, hey, we should reinvest, right We should want the strongest, smartest people actually being police officers, right? Because those are the officers that can defuse you know tense situations. Those are the officers that have the emotional capacity to deal with the traffic stop. In a reasonable manner right like to me it's insane to think that like that if you have five police officers that beat a man to death that in some way that's like a single issue and it's not a bigger problem like to me that's a you know a a problem with the entire recruitment process of the police force the fact that they were allowed to accept and that they were able to be police officers proves that the entire system of how they recruit officers is a failure and so one of my policies is yes we should defund them in the sense that certain projects they don't need to be on and certain things police officers don't need to do but also reinvest in them in a way that recruits better people that are more emotionally intelligent and better able to deal with these situations so we don't have tragedies like this in the same scale
1: yeah i think I agree with you on on that. I think police officers should be more of like a prestigious job. It should be almost like the military where we actually like really respect them. You know, we don't respect police officers. Like I actually like, I get disgusted every time I look at one of them. Cause I'm like, you're such a wasteless, like wasted part of like our resources. Cause you're just standing there and like waiting for like someone to jump the subway turnstile in New York, instead of like just having like, a normal subway enforcement like person like why do you have, why are you strapped up to like watch the subway line like turnstile go a million times it makes absolutely no sense uh but i do think that at the same time like i i don't want to i don't think these like cops are necessarily like like yes like they're not like the brightest in our out of our society but i don't want to blame like their emotional intelligence on the reason why they're beating up people, I like, guess that has a factor to do with it. But I, I do think it's more of like the system that they got themselves into, right? Like before the the police, were they really like these like extremely emotional people that couldn't really like hold their temper down? Like probably not because then like they, they probably like would have gone in some altercation or like jail before um, they applied for the, for the uh, police department. And, and therefore, like, they wouldn't have gotten the job. What I do think it's more of is, like, how they're trained. And I think the way that they're trained is probably, A, very short, because, like, for some reason, lawmakers think we need, like, more police. Um, so, like, they want to, like, shorten the time to, um, you know, like, to get more police on, like, their their police department. or or Or, B, it's, like, something to do with, like, their like what specifically they're being taught right and it's like are they being taught to like 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 what are they being taught in certain situations and i think maybe if that training is more you know high quality and it and it focuses more on like de-escalating situations and things like that then we can like create a less like power hungry um you know, police force that just is tripping on power and trying to like beat everyone up all the time.
0: Yeah. And I think my kind of idea might be a little bit, you know, utopian. Um, But I definitely think there can be progress made. Certainly the way we teach officers needs to change. The approach needs to be less militant and more servant. Um, But I mean, I, I remember reading a stat that said something like, like around 40 percent of active police officers were like in some way investigated for like domestic abuse allegations or some crazy number right and so i think that there is a much larger percent of cops that do have severe anger issues do have low emotional intelligence and that's kind of the reason why the recruitment is so faulty. Like, I I find it hard to believe that if we viewed police as a prestigious job and had the best of the best people becoming police officers, that five of these highly intelligent, really smart people would, like, commit a a tragedy, like, to this extent. Like, to me, that's, that's kind of hard to believe that that happens. And certainly other areas need a change. But to me, that's kind of the one of the critical pieces, because to me, like if five people are going to act in a way that kills someone, no matter how many much training or like informational sessions they go to, like there's something like wrong about who they are that would allow them to do this. That's more than just like how they were taught at police academy. So to me, there needs to be real change about who we're allowing to even be police officers.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Like, do I see people of military status, like, really doing this? I'm not too sure. I don't think so. Uh, But I, I think it is just, like, the power in which we give police, right? If you're someone that is able to, you know, run away with, like, doing anything, right? They're almost, like, above the law in certain situations because... They can get away with all these like small things, but because they're a part of the police department, they have all these connections and um, you know, they can do like certain things that will get them off the hook compared to if it was a like a regular citizen, right? And and you know, domestic abuse, like you pointed out, is is one of those examples. Um and that power kind of gets to their head and escalates the situations like we're seeing right now. So yeah, I just looked up the stat though. And and you're, you're right. Uh, It's, you know, data suggests that 40% of cops abuse family. Um, So it is, you know, what you were saying probably, you know, definitely has a lot of of merit to it for sure.
0: But I mean like the reason I kind of say it's maybe a a utopian idea is like thinking about like the military, like, There's thousands of examples of like military personnel committing like horrible war crimes and atrocities that like we would hope that they're better than, but they're clearly not. And so I think you're certainly right in that there's something to the power structure of law enforcement that turns police officers and corrupts them and there is certain systemic change that has to happen in law enforcement, whatever that looks like that has to occur before there's going to be real solutions. And whether, and I think probably the start of that is more accountability for the officers, which is why I think it's so great how quickly these five officers were charged with second degree murder, because we can't have this period where they're, Fired, but they're still getting their you know severance packages, and they're just kind of chilling around. Like there needs to be strict, swift, heavy punishment to these people that are committing these you know crimes. Even though there's police officers, so there's definitely important change that has to come, and we hope it does. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I think you know it is. It is kind of crazy now that I think about it in the climate and the political climate that we're in right now. That if you're a cop. How could you even think about doing something like that? Like, obviously, like, you don't want to do something like that, like, regardless. But, like, if, like, knowing at the top of your mind, like, these are the repercussions. Why are you not, like, thinking twice before, like, doing anything like that? And I think, to your point, it is probably something, now that I think about it, of, like, an emotional, like, you know, ineptness or something like that. Yeah, like, Um, they,
0: they feel entitled. Like, like sitting here, I couldn't even imagine beginning to like be like someone that's running away from me, beat them to death. Like I can't even begin to imagine that. And there's something about the job that creates this power hungry, you know, cynical aspect of these officers that you're right. Even in the time we're in, when you think they'd be the most vigilant about what they're doing. Stuff like this happens, and it's it's a real shame
1: for sure, and I think yeah, if I were to sum it up, I think that you know if we're defunding the police, there's a couple of things that you know we really need to do. you need to um you know move resources away from you know small level crimes so you can focus on like the more important crimes, and you could delegate the you know smaller crimes to different divisions of the government or create new divisions in order to like de-escalate situations where you don't need a gun all the time you don't need like um you know anything that can like you don't need to like beat someone up over over something that's like really really small If, if if they run away because of a traffic stop like that's not the end of the world right um and then I think that you know another thing you need to do is like in that way you need to develop you know like Peer crisis services, potentially like crisis hotlines, um, you know, like med- more mental health services, probably. I think that's another good thing that you can like shift funding towards um, and then developing the police Academy training is a lot more, making it more selective program, Um, you know, maybe like increasing, even though it's like weird to think about it, like increasing salary might be a way to attract like more qualified people, uh, less like emotional people, more intelligent people. Maybe, maybe that's a part of it. Um, And and then lastly, it's obviously just like taking that money and reallocating it towards development of, you know, marginalized communities of low income communities that's that's the easiest way to to reduce crime in, in in general um and you know economic growth has been that one thing that's always been linked to a reduction in crime so you know that why why not do that
0: yeah and i, I think it's important to note that the issue is not going to be one thing right like it's mm-hmm. it's going to have to be a multifaceted long term approach and I would just say, however you think the way to change is, stick with it, right? I think the important thing is that we don't, once a tragedy happens, like react to it and then just go on. Like we should demand from our politicians reform. We should be voting in our local elections based on these ideas and hold our politicians accountable to promises they make in enacting reform. And we can't just, you know, react and react to the news. We have to take action to try to change the way that things are going.
1: For sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's hard to see that kind of hope nowadays, um, you know, especially in this moves into the whole gun debate as well. Right. It's like, let's stop reacting and start preventing. Um But yeah, it's a really unfortunate situation again, like, you know, thoughts and prayers are out to the family and, you know, everyone that's affected by this, like the, the videotape was just crazy. Like I haven't really, I don't really want to watch it too much because like it's honestly really, really violent. Um, but I've, I've heard people are just like, this is absolutely insane. Like start beating them up for absolutely no reason. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's a really sad thing. Um, it's a tragedy and and we hope uh, you know we can do something about that. Um, but you know moving on to the more like politics side of uh, of this, um, going back to the debt ceiling, um, you know, as we were talking about last week, um, anyone that's new, essentially what's happening in Congress with the debt ceiling is that we're about to hit you know this limit on on borrowing to finance our, our debts. And the Republicans are using this as a political leverage to lower federal spending, essentially. Um, and this is an ongoing thing. They, they're they continuing to, you know, hold strong on this. Most recently, GOP lawmakers are ready to make budget proposals on that federal spending. Uh, but there's a lot of debate and internal turmoil within the party on how that's going to really look um, some Republicans like Rand Paul want to cut military spending on, on, you know, he's a Senator, but that's kind of, he's trying to voice that opinion. Other, other uh, more of like Republicans on, on the military, of course, do not want any cuts to the Pentagon or, or to the, to the military. So that's an ongoing conflict that's happening. Um, but how do you really see this playing out and, Do you think that there's like a solution in mind? And and another, I guess, question to this is if you were tasked with cutting certain things out of the budget, what's what's like at the top of your mind?
0: I mean, military, like my kind of whole political view is like. The government should be as small as possible, and I think a lot of overreach that we have done. In the international realm, has backfired, cost American lives, and is overall unproductive. And so I think a huge portion can be cut from military and additionally reworked within military to make sure we're spending effectively. Um, I think that can be kind of the first place. But I'm also a big advocate of spending in areas that create economic opportunities and economic growth. And to me, those areas are infrastructure and in specific renewable energies. I think renewable energies are the future. And we're going to start seeing the impacts of climate change more and more. And it's going to be a necessity that we're switching to renewables. And I think some of this conflict in Russia has especially for a lot of European countries, swift in that process, but will also swift in the U.S. process and hopes to become energy independent. And so my belief is we should be reducing our international spending, especially in the military, reorienting that into infrastructure, green spending. Um, That's kind of my philosophy. In terms of how this is going to play out, I honestly have no idea. I'd like to believe that like, these far right Republicans will kind of like acquiesce on some of their like harsher demands and come to a more like centrist outcome in terms of the budget. But my, my hope for like effective political maneuvering is like died a little while ago. So but what, yeah, what are no, your thoughts?
1: I mean, I'm looking at the discretionary spending as of 2020 for the US budget, and it's absolutely insane. Like this pie chart is just nearly half of it is defense. Combined transportation, veterans benefits and services, communal, community and regional development, education, administrative administration of justice, international affairs, general government, natural resources and environment, housing assistance, general science, space and technology, and training and employment all combined are almost equal to the defense budget. And then healthcare is like the next like biggest one, but it's, you know, less than half of what the defense budget is itself. So that definitely needs to come down a little bit. I would expect, you know, I don't think we need as many Air Force pilot jets, the new technology and all this crap, like <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but what's, you know... A good thing is that apparently Joe Manchin, you know him, uh, talked to the Speaker of the House, um, McCarthy, and apparently Social Security and Medicare are safe from cuts, apparently. Um, so, you know, that's what that's what him as a you know moderate Republican is saying. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think the the MAGA squad probably wants it on there, but uh, hopefully that doesn't that doesn't necessarily happen. But I, I also want to point out that this is not like a Republican thing whatsoever. People have manipulated and leveraged uh, using the debt ceiling so many times in the past. Uh, most recently in 2017, Schumer and Pelosi also used the debt ceiling as a little bit of a political football Um, I don't know if you recall, but Trump actually cut a deal with them. Um, the GOP wanted to increase the debt ceiling for 18 months, um, in order to, you know, kind of get their voice into the, into the budget and, um, you know, get that, use that leverage early on while they were in turn, basically is what I'm, is what I'm, I'm guessing, um, but the Democrats got it down to three months so that they can, you know, renegotiate spending terms and and things like that. So this is, is something that's, you know, always going to be used uh, for the rest of eternity as something that the Democrats can use, the Republicans can use. And it's, it's similar to how gerrymandering works or how filibustering works, is that it benefits. It's bad. It's Probably not the best in the interest or representative of the interest of the American people, but parties exploit it on both sides of the aisle. So it's never really going to go away and there's not going to be any structural change to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't you just just love politics? I mean, are like we're not getting represented, really, and they're just kind of like negotiating these backdoor deals for like personal benefit and not really caring like what's What's happening to the people that voted them in. I mean. My like disdain of politicians. And like the government. As a whole is. Grows daily. Grows daily. Yeah
1: Yeah, it grows podcast by podcast. And I think we've seen that. But uh, yeah enough of politics. I don't really want to talk about that anymore. Um, Did you listen to the new Yachty album?
0: I listened to the first song. And was Shocked. Just because how like different it sounded. I enjoyed it, but I turned it off. I was like, I need time to evaluate how I'm going to like approach this Yachty album. So I've only listened to the first two songs at this point, both of which I really liked. But I've been hearing some really good reviews from the album. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that you would like it. It doesn't seem like something that you would like at all. Uh, Max is a more you know, hard rap kind of guy, true rap kind of guy. I'm more open a little bit to like this, like experimental weird things, although sometimes I don't really like it. Uh, I guess this is called Psychedelic Rock. Um, And I absolutely love it. I think it's like really cool that he's going out there and doing something completely different, probably going against what his label wants, because like it's risky um and and going against what everyone expected that he can do and i think he's this is like a pioneering moment where he is really pioneering rappers to like do something differently because you know yachty is not an artist that i typically enjoy listening to on you know a day-to-day basis i think he's one of those rappers i'm like oh my god he has so much potential on certain songs I i can see it um but he took this a complete different direction and I think it's actually really benefiting him and uh, it got leaked actually a little bit before. So, you know, we thought that this was going to be like not really talked about, but I'm glad he ended up releasing it and um, apparently he made it two years ago and he's been sitting on it for a year and a half. So uh, it, it's great to see artists be really, like really innovative and, um, you know, giving us good music.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I certainly believe this will probably be a listen once or twice through for me. I don't think this will be like on my, on my playlist. Um, but I think I approached the album thinking it would be a traditional Yachty album. And that's kind of why after I heard the first song, I was like, all right, I need to like reevaluate how I'm approaching the album. Cause if I approach it from like how I traditionally view albums, I think it should just like be unfair to him and to the album, and so I think it's fair for me to approach it from a standpoint of he's being experimental and doing something different. And while it might not be something I traditionally like, I should evaluate it based on what he's trying, the art he's trying to create. And I think that's definitely uh, something that more listeners of music in general should do. That when artists are experimenting allow the artist that space to, you know, explore a new style that maybe traditionally they haven't done.
1: Yeah. No, it reminds me of something like when Kanye created Yeezus, for example, like it was a little bit experimental um, and eventually very, very well received. So I think this is going to turn out something like that, but you know, in other news, Metro Boomin becomes the first non-rapping hip hop producer to reach 50 million monthly listeners on spotify Um, so clearly heroes and villains is is doing great and i think you know he is in my books the the goat producer at least in in hip-hop
0: yeah i mean really good album goat producer is high high praise i'd have to i have to really think about my list of uh producers but that's pretty impressive to get fifty million, uh I guess what was it the first non singing producer?
1: Yeah, like he doesn't have any like rap albums where he's actually like rapping. He's yeah. just like the only like solo like solely producing producer um to, to do that. So because uh, like, you know, most of the time if you're having a Spotify page you're you're not a producer you're a rapper right yeah. so uh i think it's a it's a pretty interesting feat to accomplish and um yeah i am ec- i'm excited to yeah maybe maybe next segment we should do a a a ranking of our our top producers of our all, producers time or, all time or top producers of the last decade or something like that that's
0: a that good could be good
1: i'll write it's that down great. write that down but uh yeah um Thank you everyone for uh, listening to this week, episode four of the short tempered podcast. Um, I'm going to put the Instagram, Twitter, in the bio, Um, trying to post on Reddit somewhere so we can, you know, get more, get more followers and get get more listeners. Um, And I also found out that you can put timestamps in Spotify and it automatically links. So if I put like, parentheses three minutes in the the episode description then it'll automatically link and if you click it it'll go to three minutes so let's say like you know you don't like football or, or something you want to skip directly to the politics section you can you can do that so I'll, I'll work on doing that too this week
0: awesome yeah well great great episode and loved our conversation and we'll we'll see y'all next week